Waterpark, how are we doing? Come on. Come on. Hey, I want to start by telling you uh, about how my life changed 17 years ago. Okay, I was in Waco at my friend's apartment, wasn't walking with Christ. Um, we were at a party one night, and I had never met my best friend's sister, and I was kind of hassling him. I'm like, man, you should invite your sister over uh, to this party, you know, and just giving him a hard time. And I'm sitting there, I remember I was sitting at the table in my friend's little kitchen, he had a little table there, and I was sitting there, and there was someone at the door, and the door opened, and my heart stopped. And it was just like, who is that? And, uh, and, and she walks in, and it's my best friend's sister, she, well, I never met her, and I'm just like, oh my, and I mean, I, it was like my peripheral vision was blurred, you know, and I, all I saw was her, and we were instantly in my mind, like frolicking through fields of dandelions, and, uh, and I was just like, I got to get to know her, and that began the pursuit that would take over my life the next couple of years, and I learned everything about this girl, okay? I learned her favorite flowers were Gerber daisies. And so I bought them by the dozen. And I learned she worked at the salon, the salon at Ridgewood Village, hashtag stalker. And, um, <laughs> and I would take those flowers there by the dozen. I learned her favorite dessert was uh, white chocolate mousse from TCBY yogurt, frozen yogurt, Froyo with Heath Bar toppings, very specific. I learned that though, and I had never been to TCBY, but all of a sudden I found myself as a frequent flyer, and I was like buying those, and I was bringing them to her, and I got her phone number, which was like the big score, you know, and, and so I would call her, and she wouldn't answer, but I would leave these, <laughs> I would leave these epic voicemails. I'm talking poetry on her voicemail, and, uh, and so one day, we ended up being at the same party in the same geographic location. I'm like, this is my shot, you know? And so I'm like, I'm just gonna leave it all on the field. And so I walk up to her and I'm like, hey, and, and I just go like, anybody ever heard of Shy? Like the, the group? Okay, so there's seven of us here. So <laughs> I go up to her and I go, the very first time that I saw your brown eyes, your lips said hello and I said hi. I knew right then you were the one. And she didn't do that. She didn't do that. She looked at me and she goes, my eyes are green. Oh, that's what I meant. Green, green eyes. Green eyes. She's saying something, though. She's saying, hey, it's cool that you've observed me from afar. You don't know me. You haven't really taken the time to get to know me. Oh, that's cute, your little sixth grade infatuation. Do you think you found someone you're attracted to? Neat. You don't know me. You don't know who I am. You haven't taken the time to really invest, to understand who I am. She's saying, hey, I don't like your song. Not because you're tone deaf, but, but because you don't even understand the words to sing. 
And I start there because this describes some of our relationship with God. We, we see God from afar and we just appreciate that he's God, that we're not, and like, hey, I'm supposed to worship you and read your book and gather with people and talk about you, but we don't really know God. We haven't taken the time to peel back the layers to look inside the depth of the Godhead. Maybe you just chopped up, well, I can't understand it. I can't get there. And he's saying, I don't need your singing, not because your voice is bad, but because you don't know the one you're singing to. A.W. Tozer says that the most important thing about a person is what comes to their mind when they think about God. I've said that quote up here a couple times, a few times. But what comes to your mind when you think about God? Let's just do a little experiment if we can. If you would, close your eyes, okay? Not everyone here is a believer, so I'll watch your purses. But if you would, just for a minute, just everybody close your eyes for a second, okay? All right, now picture God. Picture him. Okay, now come back with me. Who'd you see? I did the same experiment with a, a group full of Christians, and I heard one guy saw a lion. I pictured a lion. Anybody picture a lion? You've watched Narnia one too many times? Uh, any, one guy pictured Morgan Freeman. <laughs> any Morgan Freeman people here? Okay. Uh, somebody else said an old man. Anybody just see an old man, like when they closed their eyes? Okay, a couple, couple of you saw an old man. One guy said he saw forces of nature, like big waves crashing up against cliffs, and, and he saw stars expanding. Anybody see that? that one, uh, one person said, I saw creation. When I think about God, I just think about the beginning of creation. I was like, That's cool. I wonder what that looked like. And, and uh, somebody else said, I, I saw Jesus. Anybody picture Jesus? I bet you there's some, yeah, some Jesus people here. And when you thought about God, you thought about the image of the invisible God, Jesus, okay? If when you think about God, let's just assume A.W. Tozer is right, that that is indeed the most important thing about us, what comes to our mind when we think about God. If when you think about God, you forego the triune God, that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one essence, then you've missed out on who God says he is and who this scripture says that he is. And so we are in this series called Seven, where we're walking through Watermark's seven essentials, which are seven doctrines that we believe every healthy Christian should hold to. And Blake set up the series two weeks ago, and then Todd uh, covered the Bible last week. He just covered God's Word, and we dove into that. Today we are talking about the Trinity, and the subject of the Trinity. Then the Trinity, uh, here's our statement from uh, our document. It says, we believe there is one God, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are each God, and that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are each a distinct person. Okay, very complex idea when we're talking about the incomprehensible, the deity that we worship, but it shouldn't keep us from seeking him out. Why is this important? Because God is the most important relationship that you have. And the health of a relationship is often determined by your ability and your effort to get to know the person in the relationship with you. 
and without the Trinity, hear me on this, there is no salvation. You understand? I cannot die for your sins. That whoever would die for your sins would have to be eternal. God himself. That Jesus would be God. Without the Trinity, marriage is not a reflection of God. It's just a man-made tradition. It can become whatever you want. Without the Trinity, God cannot be love in the way the Bible says God is love. Because if there were two gods that loved each other, what they have would be love, but they would not be love in and of themselves. So it explains so much about God and just this idea of the Trinity. St. Augustine, who wrote much about the Trinity, uh, one of the... um, fathers of our church, said this. He said, if you try to understand the Trinity, you will lose your mind. But if you deny the Trinity, you will lose your soul. So I get the topic that evidently you can't understand and so like you know here I'm gonna do the best I can up here and if you leave in a few minutes confused I'm kind of promising you will that's kind of gonna happen okay so I didn't fail you it's just a complex idea and so we're gonna do the best we can you're gonna have to engage your minds this morning if you have a pen and paper I'd encourage you to grab it stay with me to the best of your ability it's gonna feel a little professorial on the front okay on the first half about halfway through the message you're gonna need an aspirin all right and so um you know, if you have one, uh, feel free to take that. But just do the best you can. We're going to look at what the Trinity is, what it's not. And before you leave here today, what you need to do because of the Trinity. And so let's just start with what is the Trinity. Okay, The Trinity uh, is not a word that you're going to find in here. It doesn't show up anywhere in the Bible. Very, very important now. Hear this. It is in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Uh, it is covered by much of the scriptures. We continue to see this theme that God, the God that we worship, exists in three persons, one essence, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word, the Trinity, used to describe that showed up in the third century by a man named Tertullian, who was a lawyer. And he's writing about God, efforting to describe the tri-unity of the Godhead, and we see this word Trinity birthed forth in writing. Let me say it again, that was not the invention of the Trinity, but just the word to describe the Trinity, the Trinity has existed in eternity past. He has always been there in eternity past. As long as there has been, not even time, as long as there has been God, there has been the Trinity. And so if we seek to understand the Trinity, you need to know that it efforts to answer the what and who of God. That's what the Trinity does. In one word, it describes the what and the who of God. You say, JP, what do you mean? Well, if I was to say, uh, let's describe the what and the who of you, what would you say? What are you? Who are you? Let's talk about me for a moment because I have the microphone. If we said, what are you? Uh, You would say, well, I would say, I'm a human being. That's the what. And if you said, well, who are you? I would say, I am Jonathan Bob Pakluda. Okay, that's right, just Bob, not Bobby or Robert or anything. Let's be honest, I'm John Bob from Quero. Okay, make fun of it later. That's who I am. My parents hate me. Uh, 
They don't. I love you, mom and dad. And so, so the what? Human being. Who? Jonathan Pecluda. What is he? He is God. That's the what. He is God. He's been there forever. He is one God. In fact, an Israelite over and over and over would say a prayer that shows up in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the beginning of that prayer starts in verse 4. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. We have one God that we worship. And so we know that there's one God. In fact, it's carried over into the New Testament. Jesus says that in Mark chapter 12. He recites from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that God, there is a God and that God is one. There's only one God that exists. Not God of many gods, not other gods, not little G. There's just one God. This says it in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, yet for us there is but one God. Galatians 3, verse 20, but God is one. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, there is one God. All right, and so this God, we would know him if he was, there was no trinity, the one that we see the most, that we think about the most, and, and what many of you pictured is God the Father. Okay, and so this is the Father, the uh, in the Islam faith, you would call this God Allah. In the Jewish faith, you would call him Yahweh. Those are not the same God that we worship. Those are different gods, a singular God. When we say Yahweh, we know him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That this God the Father has existed in eternity past. He is responsible for creation, but he is not solely responsible for creation. For with him was God the Son Jesus Christ, who was also with God in the beginning. John 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right, get your aspirins ready. You ready? This is like me saying, yesterday I was with Todd, and I am Todd. And you would say, are you feeling okay? Right? It's very complex. There's nothing that we have in our English language or our earthly experience to appropriately describe the Trinity. Every single thing you could come up with would fall short. That the Son was there in the beginning. Colossians 2 verse 9 says that in him all the fullness of the deity dwelt. That the Son was God. But it's not just the Father and the Son who are God. He is also the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. I've said this many times in the scripture. Uh, one I'll go with you is Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira have held back some money from some real estate they sold. And Peter, uh, Peter says this to them. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart, filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit, underline Holy Spirit, and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When you lied to the Holy Spirit, you lied also to God. Jesus says this in John 14 verse 26 and John 15 verse 26, almost the same verse. It says, therefore go, oh, I'm sorry, 
Um, he says, when the advocate, the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And so the Holy Spirit is also God, okay? And so the what, what is the Trinity? He is God. Who is the Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You cannot talk about the Trinity without three words. I want you to write them down, okay? Unity, equality, and distinction. This is the best three words that I know of that we can use to describe the Holy Trinity when we're thinking about God. Unity, equality, and distinction. And so what does unity mean? As we talk about unity, it's that we worship one God. You see three names, those are, those are three persons, but we worship one God. We are what you call monotheists, okay? We believe there's one God. The, the Jews and, um, and Muslims who were critics of Christianity would say, no, 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 you're tritheists. You're polytheists. You believe in multiple gods. No, 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 we don't. We believe that there is one God, that he is one. Uh, Ephesians Four verses five and six says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So these have unity. They are one God, but not just unity. They also have equality. Okay? This is really complex, as if it wasn't complex enough already, that the Father, that the Father is God and the Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. That they are each person fully God. Like each of them are all of God. Not that you have a pie and you divide it in thirds. And the Spirit is a third of God. And the Son is a third of God. And the Father is a third of God. That's not what I'm saying. The Spirit is all of God. The Son is all of God. And the Father is all of God. Okay. They are equal Equally God. Each equally God. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 28, verse 19. A verse you know is the Great Commission. He's with his disciples. And he's about to leave. And he says, um, go to all the earth and make disciples. You guys are disciples, now y'all go make, make disciples. And what I want you to do is I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now what he says is really important. He says, I want you to baptize them in the name, singular, one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, I want you to baptize them in the names of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's describing one God in three persons, Jesus, God in the flesh, talking about the Trinity. And so you have unity, you have equality, and now we also have distinction. Distinction. That Here's what distinction is. It means the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. That within this one God, there are three distinct persons of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This, my friends, is the closest I can get to illustrating a very complex idea of the Trinity to you. And so you can take a picture of it, you can draw it on your paper, but this is the closest I can come to showing you a, a picture of who God is on this TV screen 
up here. It's this idea that there is but one God. The Father and the Son and the Spirit is each God. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit is each a distinct person. B.B. Warfield says it like this. There is one only and true God, but in the unity of the Godhead, there are three co-eternal and co-equal persons, the same in substance, but distinct in uh, subsistence. Subsistence. That's the first time that gave me trouble. But that's what he says. It's difficult, okay? It's difficult, but... But what I want you to do, because some of us, like we have that personality, like if we don't understand something, we just get frustrated and move away from it. I don't want you to do that. I want you to look at it like a puzzle you can't put down. And you move into it. And, and be awed by the majesty and the mystery and the beauty and the creativity of the Trinity. In our world, if you have a dot and another dot, you have what's called a line. If you add a third dot, you have a plane. So three dots create a plane. If I pull up from that plane now, a fourth dot, you have a shape, some sort of pyramid-like shape. That's what we know as three-dimensional. This, that's our world. This is not three-dimensional. This is infinity-dimensional, eternal-dimensional. This is, belongs to the world that we're moving toward, the world that you belong to. It's not simple. You, you cannot put the God that you worship in a box. Okay, you, you cannot, you don't want to worship a God that you perfectly understand. There's so many things here on this earth that we don't perfectly understand. Amen, like, let's be honest, we don't understand women, much less God, the one who created women and men and made you in his image. And so because it's, a mystery, don't stop seeking out the mystery, but allow it to be motivation to you to continue to move toward him and to pursue him, seek him, seek to understand him. I've always loved magic uh, entertainment of all sorts, but specifically illusionists have, you know, caused me wonder and excitement and entertainment and um, I was seen watching a magician once, and, and uh, maybe you've seen him too. He, he had a table. He had stuff sitting on the table. And, and right before my eyes, he brought that table up, and it began to fly. I mean, it was floating right in front of my eyes. And I'm not just talking about just off the ground. I mean, it was high, way above his head, this table. And he goes like this over it, you know, waves something over it. There were no strings. I just couldn't figure out this table. And I was, I was awed and I was entertained and I was amazed. And, and he even said afterwards, he said, you know what? The internet has changed magic forever. Because it's, it's removed the mystery should you choose. He said, don't go home and YouTube how I did that. Allow yourself to sit in the wonder and the mystery. And, uh, and so what did I do? I went home and I YouTubed how he did that. <laughs> and, and it was, the awe was instantly removed. It's trickery. It was simple. It's like, wait, wait a minute. That's not even interesting. And that will never happen with God. 
that for the rest of 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 the rest, you can continue to seek him and find awe and move into him and find more awe and wonder and move into him closer, deeper into him and be awed and find wonder all the more that you would continue to move into him, that we would allow the mystery, the majesty, the beauty of God to move us closer to him. And so this is what the Trinity is. Let's talk for a moment what it's not because sometimes when you address the idea of what something isn't, you begin to understand more what it is. It pushes it deeper into your heart. And so what I'm showing you up here is not three gods. The Trinity is not three gods because of unity. If you get rid of unity, you are left with polytheism, multiple gods. Now, here's why this matters. You say, why are you saying the same thing over and over? Because some of you, when you've learned about the Trinity, you've actually learned a polytheistic worldview. Now, describe, anybody ever heard that God is like an egg? Anybody ever heard that? Okay, Neapolitan ice cream, uh, you know, something like that. So God is like an egg. He's like the shell and the, the, the egg white and the yolk, and they all exist perfectly in harmony like the Trinity. No, they don't. The, the shell of the egg is not entirely the egg. The white of the egg is not the whole egg. The yolk of the egg is not the whole egg. That's a polytheistic view, that you have three separate things, like three separate gods. Same problem with the apple. God is like an apple. He has the skin of the apple, the flesh of the apple, the seed of an apple. Maybe you heard this in Sunday school. Okay. No, God is nothing like an apple. Maybe you heard three-leaf clover, anybody? Any three-leaf clover people? Okay, I got some. Um, each leaf, make up the Trinity. No, one leaf is not the entirety of God. You're, you're seeing three different gods there. That would be polytheistic. I'm not frustrated by those illustrations. I'm just telling you up front, any illustration would fall short in describing the mystery and the majesty the unity, equality, and distinction of the Trinity. And so as we talk about um, equality, what I want you to see here is not a hierarchical org chart, okay? Um, this is the issue. So if you get rid of equality, right, you're going to be left with something called subordinationism or subordination, right? That Jesus is lesser than the Father. Jesus is not lesser than the Father. They are all equally God, okay? Uh, this would be the issue with an illustration like, well, you have a CEO and then you have a COO and a CFO. Not the case. They are all equal in rank, but they play different roles. There are different roles that they play in the Godhead. Equal in rank, they play different roles. And so we do not subscribe to what is known as subordinationism. This one is important because it has a very firm grip on history. In uh, 325 AD, there was a rising heresy uh, known as Arianism. Uh, Arianism was a flavor of subordinationism. And they gathered a group of men, 318 bishops, Constantine did, to talk about this. Uh, that was known as the Council of Nicaea. Anyone ever heard of the Nicene Creed? It was born out of that council where the words of that creed, the, the belief, Arianism taught that Jesus was created by God and he was lesser than God. And so what that creed addresses is it says, 
God from God, as though light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. And so this creed was to address this heresy. It still exists today. In fact, Lifeway surveyed a bunch of Christians and asked them several questions around the Trinity. And over 50% of those so-called Christians said that they believed that Jesus was created by God. That's the heresy of the fourth century. Over 50%. This is what happens when you deny the Trinity. And so, um, the other thing that I want you to know about our God is, is he's not playing three different roles. He's not one God putting on three different hats or three different uniforms. Or, or you know, that would be, if you got rid of distinction, you would be left with a heresy known as modalism. That God exists in different modes. That there's a God, the Father, who became the Son. And then when the Son left, he became the Holy Spirit. And this is the issue with illustrations like, well, you have you know, Jesus who is ice. And when the ice melts, you're left with the water who is God. And, and when that water evaporates, you, you have the steam of the Holy Spirit. That illustration actually teaches modalism. Much like the one that says, well, I'm a man and I'm a father and a husband and a son all at the same time, just like the Trinity. No, you're a son to some, you're a father to some, and, and you're a husband to one. Uh, it, it's, that's modalism. That is not like the God that we worship. That the three of these exist, they are all equally God and yet distinct in their persons. There's not an illustration that appropriately describes this. And you say, well, why does this matter? Because it's the God we worship. I mean, imagine with me, if I went home, now I've known that girl that walked into that apartment 17 years ago. I've known her for 17 years. I've been married to her for 13 years. Got the girl. And, um, and I go home and I look at her and I'm like, Huh, you're blonde. I never realized that. She's going to be like, what? Hold on, what? For, I've been that way for 17 years. You've never noticed that? You've never took, taken the time to, to, to know me in that way, to, to see me, to make that very basic observation? And so in the same way, we continue to seek out the complexity of God that we would pursue him. Because when you don't, listen, when you don't, if you don't take the time to know who God is, that you've been made in his image, what, what you will do is in your heart and your mind and in your creativity, you will begin to make him in your image. And he will begin to come, become whatever you want him to be. And if you're just observing God from afar, let's be honest, what that is, is it's idol, idol worship. It's idolatry. It's not relationship that he calls us to. That's the craziness of this. That God invites you to be a part of that relationship. Why does it matter? Because that's how you were saved. If we could put the big triangle back up. That's, that's a picture of how you were saved. These three working together. And him inviting you into that relationship. Consider it with me for a moment. That the Father chose you. He elected you. Selected you. And say, that one's mine. The Son says, I'll purchase them. 
I'll, I'll die for them. And he comes here. The Spirit begins to woo and pursue your heart, illuminating you to who God is and his desires for you. You trust in the payment of the Son. You become sealed by the Spirit who's carrying you home to the Father so that you could be presented pure, holy, blameless, and righteous by the Son. These three working together to bring about your salvation. For eternity. Let me show you in one beautiful passage. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Praise be to, to the God and Father, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. These working together to bring about your eternal security. When you're gonna purchase something and you're coming back for it, what you do is you put down a deposit. God did that with himself in the form of his Holy Spirit. But not just that, he's already paid for you in full in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. You've been purchased, sealed, and you will be with God forever, perfect, blameless, not because you are, but because he makes you that way. And let me show you why it's important. It of utmost importance. Let's just say I go to God and I choose any one of you, any, any lucky person here, and I say, hey God, I'd like to die for their sins. Take my life for them so that they can be with you forever. He's gonna be like, well, JV, um, who's gonna die for your sins? It seems like you would need to die and suffer for your own sins. And, and that's not the only problem with that, that you have your own sins to suffer for, but also... Your sins are against an eternal God. They're going to require an eternal payment, an eternal suffering. And so the only person who could suffer eternally for your sins would be God himself. And in that, we see the necessity of the Trinity. Let me show you in one verse. 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 2, he writes his letter to you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. All right. What do we do because of the Trinity? What do we do because of the Trinity? So now we're leaving this infinity dimension, we're coming to our world, and we're saying, okay, because that's there, what do we do? And the first thing that I want you to do as you leave here, that you would seek God through spiritual disciplines. 
Seek God through spiritual disciplines. Okay, let's just talk about prayer for a minute. How can you go to a God that you don't know? I have a little girl, and every now and then we're sitting down at dinner, and I'll say, hey, will you go ask them for a straw or go ask them for a napkin or, or let them know we forgot, they forgot our fries or something like that? And, and she'll get up, and she'll try, but she'll come back and say, no, Daddy, I can't. I'm like, why can't you? Because I don't know them. Because I don't know them. It's hard to go to someone that you don't know, especially when we're talking about God. Imagine how knowledge of God impacts our prayer life. Some of you, you don't have a healthy prayer life. You didn't pray this morning. You haven't been talking with God. It's because you don't know him. You have to start with the relationship, seeking to know him. And then how we pray, because of the Trinity, we go to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father. And you say, well, I pray to Jesus. Sometimes I pray to the Holy Spirit. Am I, am I in the wrong? I think you can do that because the Holy Spirit is God and Jesus is God. But I will tell you this answer you from the scriptures they asked Jesus hey how should we pray and he said pray like this our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and so this really has tremendous implications for our prayer life but also consider what we talked about last week reading the bible when you know the author, you read the Bible differently. It's, it's just like when I read Come and See, incredible book by my dear friend, mentor, and leader, Todd. When I, read, when I turn the pages of that book, it speaks to my soul in a very different way than when I read a book of someone I don't know. Because I'm reading about what God has done here, and I lived it, and I've seen some of it. And I'm like, oh, I remember that. And I hear his voice because I have a relationship with him, and I can hear it in his voice. Now imagine when you know the author of the scriptures and you're reading it. Imagine like a, a Jew who came to the fullness of the understanding of who the Messiah was. And he converts or believes upon the triune God. And he reads, <laughs> he reads the first page of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. And he gets to this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea. You would read that, and you'd be like, oh, what's going on? Oh, that Jesus was there in the beginning. When it says our, he's talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the depth of the sea and the Word was there in the beginning and the Father and out of their love for one another are creating things. Things are birthed forth in creation. That's what's going on there. And consider with an understanding of that how we might also pursue relationships. It's the next thing you do because of the Trinity, you pursue Relationships. They say, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love that you would love because God is love. That's what it says in John 4. Let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God because God is love. How can God be love? Because God has existed eternally in relationships. It's the way that God was loved. God did not create you because he was lonely. He was perfectly not lonely in perfect relationship with himself. 
that in that relationship was love perfectly. Out of that love, perfect love was also joy. In there existed happiness and, and eternal joy in that relationship. And that's why those things come from him. What this means for us guys, listen, especially here in Dallas. It means that relationships are more important than success. More important than striving and driving and climbing and crawling. I've sat with the dying. And they, they've never said, I wish I would have been more successful. But many times if I said, I wish I would have spent more time with. I wish I would have pursued. I wish I would have been more intentional with relationships. They're more important than success. My, my buddy dropped off his daughter for college last week and he just said he walked onto that campus, that university, and instantly he was flooded with this, man, I wish I would have spent more time with her in this way and that way, that relationships in the Trinity, we find how important are relationships. And because of the Trinity, we pursue unity. We pursue unity. See, marriage is an imperfect picture of the Trinity. If you get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And Jesus says, That's a mystery. We can't even understand how two would become one. That marriage was created as a picture of God himself. So you can't just make it whatever you want it to be. That there would be these two people, incompatible, male and female, very different from one another. Mutually, Ephesians 5, mutually submitting to one another and serving each other and caring for one another. That he would be willing to give his life for her and she would follow him. And they they would be equal in rank but play different roles and pursue unity in their disagreements, that it's not just this contract that we tear up and we don't want to do it anymore, that we go into it understanding that it's a picture of our deity. And we pursue agreement. We uh, resolve conflict. Why? In Genesis, you see, God created it was good, God created it was good, God created it was good, God created it was good. And you get to this, and man was alone, and it wasn't good that man was alone. Because man was created in the image of God. He says, it's not good that you're alone, because I've never been alone. So I'm going to create woman. You say, well, I'm not married, so is is it bad that I'm alone? Yes, if you're alone, it's bad. Not that you're not married, but you need to live in community. Community. That you would seek unity in community. My friend Todd said it so well at at a wedding he did Saturday night. He said, uh, relationships are not found, they're forged. So if you're looking for the right spouse, you will never find them because you're the wrong spouse. If you're looking for the right community group, you will never find it because you're the wrong member. That relationships are forged, they're pressed into, they're chipped and chiseled and worked at. And you're committed to resolving conflict that you would stay in the ring, you get in the circle. We need to talk about it, it's going to be hard, but i got to say these things to you so that we can preserve unity. Be diligent at preserving the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That we would, because of the Trinity, that we would serve That inside the Trinity, you see perfect service 
deference given to one another that the Father glorifies the Son and the Son glorifies the Father and the Spirit and the Spirit glorifies the Father and the Son. So because of the the Trinity, you can give up your rights to be right and serve others. That at the essence, the center of the essence of the universe that we live in is giving up your right so that you might serve others with your life. That you would become nothing. He humbled himself in the nature of a servant, not considering equality with the Father something to be grasped, Philippians 2. That we would model this in the way that we serve each other. That you would give your life away, not hold on to it and try to build your kingdom, but you'd serve those around you. Understanding that the way up is down, the way to power is to give up power. That Mark 10, verse 45, is right and true. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. And lastly, because of the Trinity, you marvel at God. You stand in awe of God. You understand that in him is the richness of joy and Everything as it was meant to be is found in him, that there's beauty and majesty and mystery. There's creativity in this God, and we move toward him. We, we seek him out. We never stop seeking him. And it's no wonder that when we look at the beauty of this God who is love, and in him there is the richness of joy, that when he indwells with his people, that when their hearts are wrung out, what, what is brought forth by the power of his Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. That that's what you see, that you begin to see the God that we worship when you live in right relationship with him. If that relationship's not right, no relationship will be right. If that relationship's right, you got a really good shot at the other relationships that you live in but we sit back and we marvel at him. Not, be, not put off by the mystery, but move toward, forward because of it. That woman, man, that woman. 13 years into marriage, can I tell you something? What I saw 17 years ago are not even the top 100 best things about her. Like now that I, I've been close to her, like she's amazing. She has no enemies. She walks into a room, finds the most vulnerable thing and loves it like crazy. That's who she is. She just bleeds love. She loves everybody. She's full of hugs and smiles. She's amazing. And I only know that because I've, I've lived with her. I've spent so much time with her. I've seen her in the trials, the hard times, the good times, the bad times, right? I mean, one of my greatest insecurities of walking around this place, right? You see, you guys are like, dude, how did he get her? Grace is the answer, grace. Grace. And as amazing as she is, she's no God. She'd be a miserable God. And so I look at God and I'm awed. I'm wild. I marvel at him. Three persons. One essence, 
And so in summary, the Trinity is a word used to describe God. If we misunderstand the Trinity, we end up inaccurately describing God and we risk making him in our image. The Trinity has implications for how we pursue relationships and seek out God. There is no perfect illustration to picture this. But if there was a perfect one, if there was one, if I was going to try, it would have to be beautiful. It would have to be moving. It would have to grab your hearts and pull you forward as you begin to think about the reality that in the beginning was the Father, like the baseline of a cello, pulling you forward, constant, never changing, there in the beginning, eternity past, and with him was the Son, the melody, violin pulling us out coming here in the flesh dying for our sins paying for our sins but with the son was the holy spirit wrapping these two in harmony so that we might know him be awed by him that what would be produced in him would be love we would continue to give ourselves to others in service. We would not be satisfied with disunity, that noise, that we would continue to seek out relationships, that we would be awed and inspired and marvel at the beauty of our God. The Father choosing, the Holy Spirit wooing, the Son purchasing. Without the Trinity, the music stops. God is stagnant. There is no relationship. He is not love. He is not enough to save you. You would have to work your way to him. And this is what we see in the Trinity. God wooing and pursuing, loving and saving, paying for and choosing. It's beautiful. Let me pray to him. And Father, we do just stand in awe of who you are, your character, your wonder, your might, your majesty. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Lord, we love you so much and just pray you'd stir our hearts even now. In Jesus' name, amen.